as leaders, I think we have these areas of expertise where we do make decisions that are rapid based on our experience and our knowledge and all that sort of stuff. But really, the majority of our time as we become leaders is kind of shedding that expertise and then stepping back and helping groups, facilitating groups to come together around these really complex issues, whether that's during times of crisis or whether that's time where we have a little bit of more time to kind of look forward. Come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow. Fasten your I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, and welcome back. As you all know, COVID-19 and the pandemic and surviving that was a nightmare. But professionals in any industry can look to healthcare professionals for leadership strategy and best practices for sure, particularly when facing critical challenges that call for decisive action. That is why our guest today is Dr. Richard Winters. He's an emergency physician at the Mayo Clinic. As Director of Leadership Development for the Mayo Clinic Care Network, Dr. Winters delivers programs that train leaders at all levels of healthcare organizations worldwide. As an executive coach, Dr. Winters provides coaching for Mayo Clinic leaders. Dr. Winters graduated from the Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine in 1994 and returned to the Mayo Clinic in 2015. Previously, Winters served as managing partner of a Democratic physician group, department chair of an emergency department, president of an 800-physician medical staff, and CEO founder of a startup managed care among hospitals, physicians, and patients, competitors, and insurance providers. He lives in Rochester, Minnesota, and he is here with us today. Richard, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate the introduction there. <laughs> so, all right, let's get right to it because so many of my listeners are either younger leaders or people in more senior leadership positions. And we've all watched as what's happened, you know, during the pandemic with hospitals and the shortage of talent and the stress and um, burnout. What are some of the big picture takeaways that you can share with the audience that you gleaned living and leading through this? So lots of things changing, changing re uh, really fast, and not only in healthcare, but also where you're at and in, in your industries. Things are changing very fast. And so how do you react to that? And what I noticed was that there are some leaders who stepped up and were able to lead quite comfortably in those sorts of circumstances. When we face these very difficult decisions, when things are evolving fast, we do need leaders who can step up and just decide what to do and move forward and then kind of take the, the input and discover what's going on and then make more decisions. And so it's a bit different than when we were now outside of COVID or evolving outside of COVID where you have some time to react. It's a little bit more like an emergency physician where you're just kind of reacting in the moment and then moving on. So you see certain people thrive in those instances where they need to trust their gut, trust their intuition and, and act quickly and others are thriving outside of it? Totally. Our best leaders are able to adapt to both circumstances. And so we have leaders who can step up really well in crisis. And then when all of a sudden the crisis goes away, they're still trying to command and control and be the general. And that doesn't work so well. And then we have other leaders who may be really good at bringing lots of groups together and getting lots of different perspectives and really bonding with groups, but that doesn't work so well in crisis. And so our best leaders actually can do both of those. They sense the environment and they evolve and kind of flow with the environment. So what skill do they possess or what traits do they have that these other people don't have? Yeah, I think that they're, they're sensing the environment. And so there's like different sort of processes and protocols, things that kind of pop into my mind that help me make sense of the, the situations. 
And there's a framework called the Kinevin framework that's been very helpful for me. And that came out of David Snowden. And that was published in HBR, Harvard Business Review, probably early 2000s. And it's a way of looking at the decisions that we're making and choosing the right process for those decisions. And so we are very comfortable making decisions uh, in situations where we, like it's common sense, we all agree we've been there before and we've done that before, we, we know what to do. And we have best practices for that. That is not an issue. The issue comes when we start to be in this environment where things are changing. And if you get a group of your friends together, a group of your colleagues together, actually we would all disagree about what's going on, what information to consider, what are the possible outcomes, those sorts of things. And so leading during those times, that's, that's difficult. And during those times, there are times that we need to make decisions right away. There's times where we have a few weeks or a month or so to try to figure this out. And so for me, as I think about that, as I'm in a, as I'm in a meeting and individuals are disagreeing and emotions are running high, I know that this is probably not the time for me or for my colleagues to say what they think should go on. It's more a time to kind of sit back and, and think about how, how to best lead in those sorts of circumstances. That can be incredibly intimidating and such a pressure cooker when you are in a leadership position where, like you said, things are moving very quickly. Tensions are so high. What is your go-to personally when you're leading and needing to make decisions in a situation like that? So let's break it down into the two different situations. And so one is, and this is the most common thing that's going on, is that we have this just a really kind of prickly decision that we need to make as a group. And that can be, how are we going to allow resources? Like, how are we going to change our schedule? How are we going to meet customer demands? And during those situations, we have a bit of time to figure out what the basically the room thinks. And so we have a little bit of time to kind of get the perspectives of everyone and to understand what's going on from uh, the colleagues on the right and the colleagues on the left and, and to understand what, what's going on from people outside the room. And then getting all that information to gather this sort of shared perspective, this shared sense of reality of what's going on. Within that sense of reality, there are fears and worries. There's a lot of disagreements. But those are really authentically ways of, that we're looking at the, the situation. And so first doing that and then going from there to choose the options and, and then the way forward that we're going to choose to proceed. What tends to happen for leaders in situations like that is we have a meeting and someone says something and maybe another person says something with a lot of kind of force. A decision is made and then we move forward and then people feel just like, what was I doing there? Like, they didn't hear me. I think we're going in the wrong direction. And so what's going on? I think that's a very common thing that we all experience. Yeah. I, well, when you were just describing that situation, immediately my mind went to being in corporate America and a bully being at the table. And typically, you know, some leadership strategies or, you know, their presence lends itself to be more of a bully and they've found success that way. And especially in tense situations. So when you were just explaining that immediately, someone popped into my head that always wanted to be the loudest at the table, that always wanted to pound, you know, a fist to try to get attention. And for some people, shockingly, it actually works and they get their way. But to your point, after that meeting, the longer term impact ends up being, regardless of what that decision was in the moment, so negative for the culture, for the team and for people feeling like they don't have a voice. I just don't understand how that tactic it still happens or, or people are still behaving that way. Yeah, it's interesting. So as an executive coach, so I coach leaders in our organization, outside our organization, those bullies, those people who stand up are oftentimes individuals that I'm coaching. And what they're wanting to do is, geez, I wish I could just 
I wish I was not speaking up all the time. I can hear myself and I wish I could quiet down, but I have a sense that I need to speak my mind to make things go because that's what a leader does. And so we go through the coaching process of how to like, okay, so what would it be like if you spoke less? What would it be like if you allowed others to say things? On the other hand, there's individuals that I coach who are, they're quiet during meetings. They're wanting to speak up. They don't feel safe speaking up. And so it's, it's, it's weird to have like both individuals in the same meeting, both wanting things to go well, but then not having it go well. And so I think that's where process really comes in, uh, where we try to figure out how we're running meetings in a way so that both the loud voices get heard, but also the people who have different perspectives and maybe feel less safe speaking up so that they can also be heard before we start to move forward. And that's really, I think, the job of the leader, the person running the meeting, kind of facilitating this different perspectives rising up in a way that's safe for the group and then moving forward. You know what happens, though, in a fast-paced world, most people aren't being thoughtful about this going into a meeting, right? This head leader, whoever's in charge of the meeting or who's called the meeting, they're not taking that 10 or 15 minutes ahead of time to be really thoughtful and think, how can I ensure everybody's heard? And I guarantee in the majority of meetings, most people sitting in at that table are the ones who are more fearful of speaking up versus, you know, there's less bullies and there's more people who are afraid to share their voice. How do you encourage, if that leader isn't being thoughtful, how do you encourage that person you're coaching to speak up when they might be nervous? I mean, I think as we're reading anything in the news today, we're seeing that individuals are burned out. We're seeing that there's a lot of churn at organizations where people go to an organization, then move to the next, and then move to the next. And this is a real issue just in running a business. And if you're a leader and you're running an organization with a sort of a crisis culture, which is I'm going to run into, you know, I'm going to have a meeting, bring people together, and I'm going to tell people what to do, or the loud voices are going to tell people what to do, it's not going to go over well. I mean, you're going to be in a situation then where people are leaving, where people are feeling like they're not being heard, and you're going to become less effective, and you're going to be less able to kind of react to the things that you need to react to as you're trying to be successful moving forward. And so it's not only like geez, wouldn't it be great if everyone got together and we made good decisions and we were kind of sensible as we're approaching that? Even if you're like evil like leader and you decided that you didn't care about the individual effects on people, it's still not a good, good way of making decisions because your, your quality is going to go down, your churn is going to go up, and it's just going to be hurting the organization. And so this is really for us to be able to respond to these really complex situations that we faced face, it makes sense for us to figure out how to bring groups of people together, share different perspectives, and then move forward. You know, especially in the climate we're currently living in, it is, it's very challenging to bring different groups of people together and have a conversation when there are very different points of views, especially during political seasons where people get so heightened and so angry. How do you approach that to diffuse the situation somewhat? So I, th- I think that happens when we have back channels and you can look at social media and there's lots of back channels. And if, if I'm on one back channel and I'm saying something, uh, it can be completely different than my colleague who has this different point of view. And as we're on those back channels, the differences be- that we have just heighten. It just increases and increases. Same thing happens in our organizations. And so if you're running a meeting and the leader is speaking up and maybe the other loud voice is speaking up and you're moving things in a direction there are back channels there that are going to be moving in the background and then, again, making things not so successful. But as you have these friends and, and colleagues who have different political ideas, different religious ideas, different values and those sorts of things, as people come together and start to share opinions, you start to see that actually they're not so different. And in many cases, the differences of opinion are really a part of the whole. I mean, it's a part 
things aren't necessarily yes or no. Things aren't necessarily right or wrong. There's often shades of gray. And in understanding these different perspectives, it helps the group to move forward in ways that are more together than kind of back channel, separate, you know, kind of behind the back. Have you found any ways to end the back channels? I think you bring it forward. And so honestly, I think during meetings, so there's one thing having a meeting on site where everyone's together in the same room. It's another idea than having meetings through Zoom or through other kind of video conferencing thing. And so how do we, how do we bring people together in those sorts of environments? As I'm running retreats and things like that, what we do is we have breakout groups. And so it's not just an agenda. We're going to plow through this sort of agenda. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. What we're going to do is we're going to have moments of the meeting where we're going to ask a, a big question about some complex problem. And then we're going to have people kind of separate, talk together, think out by themselves what they think, and then come back together and then share our perspectives as groups. And so these are things that we could do during meetings, kind of IRL in real life or URL on things like Zoom, where we have breakout groups, where we discuss all these different perspectives, and then we share them together as we, as we come together again. The nice thing about that is that as you break people into smaller groups, then there's maybe some more kind of safety there. You can say things that you may not feel so comfortable with because maybe that loud person's in the other group. <laughs> and then as you're doing group report outs, then, you know, Winters said this, you know, it's, it's something that in our group, this came up and then all of a sudden you can surface mm -hmm. these different ideas. When I started podcasting, an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm selling my group coaching on the regular, and it is just so easy, all because I use Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got fired. Launching my own business seemed so intimidating. I didn't know how to set up a website, and I really didn't need to. Shopify does it all for you, and they make it so easy. It was that breakthrough moment for me that I realized, I can do this. I can go to work for myself, thanks to Shopify what I love about Shopify is you don't need to have all this technology information ready to, you don't need to know how to plan and run things. You just need to go to the platform, turn it on and know what you're selling. And Shopify is going to help you figure out the rest. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries, including your girl right here. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Monahan all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monaghan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monaghan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. 
Okay, so let me guess. Like me, you get stressed out during the work week. Maybe some nights it's even really difficult to fall asleep because you have so much to do, so much pressure on you, being a parent, working, dealing with difficult clients, traffic, just all of the regular headaches that everybody's dealing with. I got you on this one. I decided to try a different approach because I was sick of feeling anxious and stressing out about falling asleep at night. Well, that's where CBD from CB Distillery came in. And wow, it has been a real change. CB Distillery's targeted formulations are made from the highest quality, clean ingredients. No fluff, no fillers, just pure, effective CBD solutions designed to help support your health. In two non-clinical surveys, 81% of customers experience more calm. 80% said CBD helped with pain after physical activity, and 90% said they slept better with CBD. If you struggle with a health concern and haven't found relief, make the change that I made to CB Distillery. With over 2 million customers and a solid 100% money-back guarantee, CB Distillery is the source to trust. I have a 20% discount to get you started. Visit cbdistillery.com and use code confidence for 20% off. That's cbdistillery.com, code confidence, cbdistillery.com. So you've got a new book out now. You're the leader. Now what? Why or what compelled you to write this book? So I'm an emergency physician, right? And, and, and patients come in and you're like, okay, now what? That, that's something that's kind of been a, a lifelong thing as a, as a physician. But then as I became a leader and, you know, kind of running organizations, I'd find these, myself in these situations where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, now what, what do I do? And then as I was coaching leaders, the same thing, people would come with these really thorny issues, these issues where people are disagreeing, all their colleagues are kind of bickering, and then they're looking to you and saying, like, now what, what do we do? And that's why I wrote the book. And, and I think there's kind of a couple things. One is, is that we are so common in kind of leaning back on our own expertise. And so in situations like we're talking about these meetings where there's really complex things going on, we all, despite how complex the situations are, whatever topic comes up, you, I, many of us know exactly what to do in that moment, what we would do. If your friend comes to you and says, hey, I'm having, I'm having difficulty with this relationship, like we know what to do. If a friend comes up to us and says, hey, I have this, this issue going on in work, we know what to do. It's because we are like kind of primed to be able to reflexively just say, this is what I think. And as we become leaders, there are things that we're expert at that got us to that point. And so for me as an emergency physician, I go in, I see patients, take a brief history, and then I write orders, like not suggestions, I write orders, right? And so then as I become a leader, is that how you lead effectively? No, right? So like run a meeting and then say, okay, this is what I think, and then write orders. I've heard what you all have to say, but after careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion you're all incorrect. Yeah, I I wouldn't like working for that person. (laughs) No. And so as leaders, I think we have these areas of expertise where we do make decisions that are rapid based on our experience and our knowledge and all that sort of stuff. But really, the majority of our time as we become leaders is kind of shedding that expertise and then stepping back and helping groups, facilitating groups to come together around these really complex issues, whether that's during times of crisis or whether that's time where we have a little bit of more time to kind of look forward. I would think that it's challenging for people who have been doing something like yourself for a long time, like you said, writing orders, and you're in this habit and routine. How do you get yourself to pump those brakes then as a leader and say, I'm not going to do what I've always done, but I'm going to take a step back and be much more thoughtful? So for me, as I was a teenager, and then I grew up and then went to medical school, 
I had no idea how to take care of patients and then go to medical school. And then all of a sudden I start to learn about parts of the body and disease processes and, and um, things that we can do to help people get better. Then I become an emergency medicine resident. And now I know how to take care of patients when they come in the door, like with lots of different things. That's all process and knowledge coming together. And so as leaders, we have a lot of knowledge. I think a lot of us coming together as organizations is having the processes that help us to come together and look around kind of blind spots. And it's helpful for us to develop this sort of common language about that. And so, like, let me refer back to the, you know, as I was talking about the Kinevin framework, it's helpful for us to know that there are certain situations where best practice work, where these are the things that we've always done and they always work in the situation. Like, I know how to sit in a chair, bottom first. We would all agree upon that. We all know how, so when a patient comes in with a trauma, into the emergency department. And there are set things that we do. There are best practices that we do. We all agree upon them. Okay, so now put that aside. So those are the things we all agree upon. Those are easy. Then there are decisions where it actually requires expertise. And so if I have a patient who's having a heart attack, I'm going to call a cardiologist. I'm not going to call an orthopedic surgeon. They have different expertise. And so there are these situations that we face in our kind of organizational lives where you want to ask marketing what's going on. You want to ask engineering what's going on. And, and those are the complicated sorts of things. And so it's helpful for us to be sitting in meetings and saying, yeah, I think this is best practice. Okay, yeah, I think this is complicated. Let's ask the experts. It's also helpful for us to know there are those times when we're all disagreeing and when the emotions are running high that we're in a space where actually we need to stop like our expertise. We, we need to stop leveraging our past practices and we need to start coming together as groups to make decisions. Just that alone can be helpful because what often happens is we're sitting in meetings and you have an individual who thinks, well, this is best practice. I don't know why we're even talking about this. Someone else is like, well, I'm the expert. I've been through this. Do you know I did this before? Why don't you just listen to me? And then someone else who's thinking, you know, I think this is a lot bigger than what we're thinking. And we need to. So we're very confused and we don't even come together as a group about what sort of, of process we should be using to be making the decision. And so that's an example for a leader, just if the leader knows that process, they can be aware of it. And then if everyone in the group knows the process, now we have this kind of common language. I think what's coming going on right now is this is a complex issue, and maybe we need to step back. The loud voices maybe need to be less loud. The softer voices maybe need to be raised, and we need to come together around all these disagreements. That's very well said. When you were talking about that, it was reminding me, I was in the radio business for a long time, which is a very traditional business, meaning it was a business in decline and people had done things the same way, the best practices for a, too long. And, and so it was an interesting version of what you're explaining in that we would be in meetings and all anyone wanted to talk about was the way we've always done it, the best practices we all know that you know these are the go-tos. But it was clear from a revenue standpoint, as revenues were declining and declining and declining, we can't lean on these best practices anymore. And it was very, very hard to get people who were stuck in a certain framework of, of attachment to best practices, that idea of letting go of that and testing and trying different things. Have you had success getting people to move away from something that they've been attached to for so long? Yeah, I mean, there's such a tension there because there, there's what's always been working for us. And... Yeah, times change and stuff, but you know what? The, our tradition is this. Our culture is based on this. And these are the things that have always worked. And if you start to tweak that, it makes some individuals very uncomfortable. It feels like it's actually a separation of the organization. Like, this is now different. But on the other hand, like, best practices by definition, past practice. There are things that we have done in the past that we no longer do because they no longer work. 
And so how, are, how do we remain aware and make sure that we're kind of aligned with our tradition and the culture and those sorts of things? But on the other hand, making sure that these, these best practices that we have right now, they actually still fit. And so I think as a group, it's sort of a group decision whether this is fitting. And then also the data starts to show us that, you know what, this is not working, which is why we're here talking about this. It's not working. And so let's start, start to figure out how to move forward. You talk a lot about deferring to the group and, and being inclusive of, of all the voices within the group. But at some point, a leader needs to make a decision. How and when do you decide when that time is right? Yeah, true. Yeah, so an ineffective leader is going to be someone who always says, okay, let's get the group together. Let's all come together. Because there are times you need to make decisions. And I think there's a few few things there to think about. One is the leader is there to protect the mission, the values of the organization. And so if there's a sense that we're running off kilter here from a perspective of what our values of, of the organization, what our mission is, and those are, the leader just needs to say, stop, this is what we're going to do moving forward. That's, that's kind of an easy thing. I think the other thing is that there are those times during crisis where we don't have times, and let's go back to COVID, where COVID is, we're hearing about it, you know, it's going on over there, I don't think it's going to be a big deal, and then all of a sudden it starts to impact our lives, and all of a sudden it is a very big deal, and it's, it's hurting a lot of individuals. We don't have times there for leaders to, like, bring everyone together and, like, figure out what to do. And you can think in all of our organizations, you know, like all, a tornado rips through town, and all of a sudden our supply chain is cut off. You can't bring people together to have a, a like kind of a kumbaya about what to do moving forward. You can't put together task forces. A leader needs to step up. And so during those times, the leader has incomplete information. No one knows all the information and what the possible outcomes are. But those are the times when the leader has to kind of use some of their expertise and then project out what they think might be happening in the future, kind of role play, and just make decisions. So now you have a leader who's making decisions based on missions and values. You have a, a leader who steps up during crisis. And then I think a lot of the other times, it's the leader kind of supervising and getting experts and other leaders involved to be able to bring groups together to make more decisions more effectively. It's not an easy job. It's definitely not an easy job for someone who's faint of heart. So I feel so much what you're sharing. There's a lot that goes into all this. Can you talk to us a little bit about mapping your decisions? Yeah, and so that's the Kinevin framework. That is really the, the figuring out whether something is clear, complicated, complex, or chaotic. And as we get groups then together to understand that sort of situation, then we can start to approach things in decisions that are better. Like we've mapped out, okay, this is a complicated decision. Let's give it to the expert. This is a complex decision. Let's get a group of people together and develop some shared reality around this decision before we start to think about what are the options we might choose and then how we're actually going to move forward. So it's important to define what something is first and then apply whatever that appropriate process is. Yeah, otherwise we're just reacting and, and not being effective. Which I mean, is what us, happens to most people. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> there's this cartoon that I love, and it's a cartoon that is of a, a rhino that's an artist, and it's painting on this canvas. And it's painting these beautiful scenes, you know, like the Serengeti and the forest and the mountains. And in each of these, each of these paintings on the canvas is this huge rhino horn in, this, in the center of it. And so, and the rhino is stepping back so proud of these paintings, but the, what the rhino doesn't realize is that the rhino has painted itself in every single portrait. And the rhino feels that everyone else is seeing the same thing. We all get that way. I mean, we all kind of look at our environment and we're a part of it. And we have these, we have our expertise, we have our experience, and we have these ideas of the way things are. But there's a lot of blind spots that we have. Like we have our own kind of big rhino horns in the center of our vision. And so how can we as groups get together 
each of us has this data that we've that we've analyzed, but how can we start to help each other look around our own blind spots? And that a good leader is able to take groups of people together and start to see maybe the scene in a more real way. I also have been in situations where no data has been analyzed and people are just coming into meetings with sheer will or opinion and really no information or basis for it. Yeah. What happens then? <laughs> it doesn't go very well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's that that in itself is data. Like we don't we don't really have a, an understanding. And so, so what do you think is going on? What does your colleague think is going on? We pull this all this all this stuff together, and then we come up with some options for the way to to move forward. And so, let's step back again. So, there's some leaders. And this is going to depend on the organization. There are organizations where leaders are really highly affiliative, where they want a, a, a big collaborative process to make decisions. There are other organizations where the leader is going to make the decision, and both of those situations, they both work. Those organizations work quite well with those different styles. But in both of those organizations, you still need to have this kind of broader perspective of what's going on. And so for a leader who's making all the decisions, still to have people come together with all their different perspectives, all their different fears and worries, all their different ideas of what's going on, their differences of opinion, their agreements, to look at this kind of broad perspective is still helpful for that leader who's going to be making the decision more helpful than if they were to be making the decision alone from behind their own blind spots. Absolutely. And what is the role that burnout plays in this when you're in these really tense situations? What is a leader supposed to do? How do they identify burnout and how do they handle it? So what is burnout? First of all, I guess it's a combination of emotional exhaustion and cynicism and decreased effectiveness. And so we all at times get exhausted where we no longer feel kind of the happiness of the world. That happens. But then when you start to pair this with cynicism, and I, and I think there used to be a cartoon I used to watch where there's this, this character named Glum, and they'd go on these adventures, kind of like Scooby-Doo, where they'd go find and meet this, solve this crime or go do this thing. And Glum was always there, and he was always saying, we're never going to make it. We're never going to make it. And then the Glum's friends were always like, so like, be positive, Glum. And Glum was like, I'm positive. We're never going to make it, right? <laughs> so you start to... Combine exhaustion with cynicism, we're never going to make it. And then you have decreased effectiveness. That is what burnout is. And so why do people get burned out? So why do people get exhausted? I think there are some things, you know, individually from our own kind of wellness. Uh, Are we sleeping? Are we eating? Are we exercising? Have people been nice to us? Have we had good interactions? Those are all things. How are we making sense of the situation? Like there are things that where I feel trapped, where maybe I'm not trapped. Maybe it's the way I'm making sense of the situation. Those things can have an effect. And I think up to this point, there's been a lot of focus on that, on what the individuals do or don't do that causes burnout. But we exist within organizations. And so are we feeling like we're engaged with the organization? Do we feel like our well-being is supported by the organization? Is the organization making decisions in ways that support our well-being? And so what is well-being? Well-being is this combination of this alignment with purpose, the sense that we are within our organization, we agree with their values, the mission, and what they're trying to achieve, and we're in alignment with that. When that's out of alignment, not so good. Autonomy, a sense that we're being heard. And so if you're sitting in that meeting and the loud voice comes on and you're not being heard, your sense of autonomy of being participating in the decisions is going to go down. A sense of that you have the resources that you need, so environmental mastery. A sense that, okay, you're responsible for this, but you actually have the resources that you need to do this. 
a sense that you're personally growing, a sense that you're getting better today than you were yesterday, that you're learning new things or you're getting new positions, things that you want to do, a sense that you're having good relations with, uh, with your colleagues, and then a sense that you're actually able to accept when you're making mistakes. Those are all the things that go into psychological well-being. It's a nice kind of recipe for a leader. And so from the perspective of purpose, what am I doing to help my colleagues get around me and around the organization and align, feel like they're aligned with a sense of purpose? Are we telling stories based upon how we're fulfilling our mission? Are we telling stories based upon our values? Are our leaders embodying the values that we are saying? Are we saying that we value teamwork, but yet we're making decisions with leaders alone? There's probably something there that the leaders can do. From a sense of autonomy, are we hearing people? Are we hearing the different voices? Are we hear allowing individuals to speak? We're talking about diversity, but are we actually listening to all the diverse perspectives of the individuals in the room? And so a leader can help that with, with processes of how they're running meetings and how they're meeting one-to-one -one with individuals. In terms of resources, do the people that you're giving responsibility to have the resources that they need to actually do the things that they're responsible for? Or are we not empowering them, actually disempowering them to not be able to fulfill their mission and the things that they're wanting to do? So these are the things that the leader steps back and you kind of look at burnout. You can see that the leader has a huge effect on that. And then organizationally, how are we looking at this? Are we, are we looking at whether our, our employees, our colleagues are burned out? And if so, are we doing anything about it? Isn't it important to us? How are we making decisions? How are we telling our values and displaying these throughout the organization? And so there's all these different levels from the leadership level to the individual level that has this huge effect on an individual's sense of burnout or not. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, Thirty-seven thousand. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. Twenty-five. NetSuite turns twenty-five this year. That's twenty-five years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Nothing is as powerful as having all of the information you need in one place to make better decisions. And right now is a time with NetSuite's unprecedented offer. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellence in performance. Absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Monaghan. That's netsuite.com slash Monaghan to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Monaghan. PSA to small businesses ready for an exclusive offer? Just Work supports small businesses with simple, seamless solutions like integrated payroll. Now for a limited time only, try out their payroll plan for one month free. As a reliable and flexible platform, Just Works earns back time so you can focus on running your small business with big confidence. You've got enough on your plate. Save time with payroll that checks all the boxes like automated payments, tax calculations, withholdings, and expert support. And the best part, no hidden fees. Designed to be flexible, JustWorks can support teams of one to as many as your small business hires, including contractors. In just 30 minutes, set up payroll that streamlines paying your team, saves time, 
mitigates errors, and is desktop and mobile friendly. You can even integrate time tracking and benefits that support running your small business with big confidence. Don't miss your chance to get one month free by visiting justworks.com slash confidence. Secure the limited time offer and start letting JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash confidence. What do you think leaders should do when you do identify that someone is nearing burnout or is burnt out? Because in my experience, when you see someone who's being cynical at work, you know, that can create a domino effect amongst people that can be very, very negative for culture and negatively impact different teams and, and really cause a lot of upset. But at the same time, I've worked alongside with leaders who didn't want to call out and embrace or give someone time off because they think that other people will just take, you know, oh, this is an opportunity to get time off. How can a leader handle that situation effectively? Yes. And you raised something great. So let's say, Heather, let's pretend that you're burned out and you come to me. And so I'm like, okay, Heather, geez, you know, I've been burned out before. Um, I recommend you read this book and this is what I've seen work and this is what's worked for me. Okay. Good conversation. Move along. That's oftentimes what happens. Like this, our conversations with colleagues are, how can I help you? How can I help fix you? That doesn't really tend to work out. And so for a leader to meet with someone on that perspective, not so helpful. What would it be like, though, if I approached you and said, so, you know, tell me about what's going on. What are you thinking? Like, what's been working for you? Um, I hear you on the one hand say this. On the other hand, you're saying this. How do you put these things together? Like, what do you want to do to move forward? What's your goal here? It's a very different approach. It's no longer am I the expert. It's now you're the expert of the situation. And so what I'm doing is I'm coaching you. I'm asking you questions that help you make sense of what's going on in your life. And, and at some point, you, there may be something that you say that I think, you know what, there's some information I'm not sure that Heather knows. Would it be helpful if I told you this? And then I teach you a little bit. So I don't know if you know this, but it's from what I've heard, uh, professional athletes get in these cycles where if they overtrain and they overwork, then they get injured. And what they've started to do is they started to, to put in some time for recovery because stress plus rest equals growth. And my sense is that you're in this place of stress and there's not a lot of rest. What are your thoughts about that? So I pepper in a little bit of knowledge there. It's not me telling you what to do. I'm sharing something and then you're processing it. And so Really, our good leader knows how to do that. And, and as we're talking about leaders, that doesn't necessarily mean someone with a title. I think, you know, leaders at all levels. And, and you can be a leader in your organization and hold no title and still be the person that everyone goes to to try to figure out what to do next. And, and so that ability to coach, to be able to help someone see things through their own eyes and make sense of the world in their own way, I think that's very helpful for individuals in burnout and in, in individuals at many other stages of what's going on. The things that you were suggesting people to say, it sounded more to me like a mediator or a negotiation expert, which is super interesting. You know, tell me more, tell me more about that. You know, getting that other person to empty their glass, which in my opinion is key whenever you're trying to lead anyone is to find out where people are truly coming from, because that's typically the breakdown that we just have no idea. Totally. Yeah. And on the other hand, if, if that same leader was not doing them, just approached with, this is what you need to do. This is what I've seen others do. All right. Good talk. Move along. You know, and then the leader's like, ah, oh, that was great. And then the person's <laughs> like, ah, oh, not so great. That happens far too often. Okay, talk to us about amplifying engagement. Yeah, so amplifying engagement is, so what is engagement? That's really people offering their time to the organization to help the organization meet its customer needs and, and the needs of the organization. And so when employees are engaged, they are involved and they're adequately, I mean, they're giving their time to the organization to improve things. When they're disengaged, they may be there in body or, you know, on Zoom, 
but they're not there in mind and they're not really putting a lot of effort in. And so how do you engage them? And I think that that's, there's kind of pairs with well-being. And so the things that engage me are the things that help me feel better, like help me feel aligned with the organization. And so that goes with, again, the sense of autonomy, the sense that I have the resources that I need or that I can help get those resources, the sense that I'm growing and I'm learning new things, the sense that I'm aligned with the purpose and values of the organization, the sense that I go to, to, to work or have these meetings and I feel like I'm heard and we're all coming together. And you know what? I would not have done that. I thought that we should have done the other thing. But now after talking about it and hearing other people's perspectives, I can kind of see why we're doing that. Those are all things that get people engaged. It's the sense that what they do makes a difference. That's so important, knowing that you make it, having that purpose or that feeling of meaning or inclusion makes all the difference, especially during difficult times when it's tough to even show up to work. Yeah, and I think we tend to reduce this to like, oh, it's money. People need to be paid more money or they need money. Mm -hmm. It really, people will do so much when they feel engaged uh, as part of the the organization. So- are some of the tactics that, that you've had success with are creating like these little micro groups uh, within an organization, you know, teams of whatnot, different people who are champions for a certain cause, you would be a fan of doing something like that. And I like what you said there too, because there's, let's say within a department, I mean, there can be 50 people, let's say in a department and they don't necessarily know each other. They're not necessarily interacting. And that's been really heightened by COVID and remote work. That's not because of COVID or the remote work. It's because of the way that we're kind of running meetings and getting together. As we start to get groups of people together in small groups to talk and and share ideas and perspectives about these really complex situations, people, they get together and they start to feel good about that. So that's within your department. But then also it's interdepartmentally. And so how are we working with engineers are thinking that marketing doesn't know what they're doing or, or, or vice versa. The engineers, they just want to do these features and no one cares about those. And so how do we get those groups together? It's the same sort of process. You, you want people to interact, you know, kind of pre-COVID or maybe now post-COVID, the, one of the most effective ways when I had physician groups that weren't getting along was to get the two of them together for dinner and have them just talk, you know, that way. And all of a sudden, this, these individuals who used to be uh, you know, the individuals on the other side of the monitor of, or the phone are now real humans and it just helps things move along. Oh my gosh, that's sales 101. You know, when you want to retain a great client is get them to a restaurant, get to know them, get to understand their pain points, what they care about in life and get them to see you as a real person. So the next time there is a challenge or a problem, which inevitably there will be, they're going to pick up the phone and call you and have empathy for you. And that same goes to your point for these people that you're working with within the same building or within the same company. It's such basic 101, but it does not happen enough. It's so true. And, you know, a common thing is, I, you know, I feel alone or I don't, I, how do I network? Well, pick up the phone, send an email and just ask someone to meet with them. I heard you're doing this. Tell me about it. That's it. That's as simple as that. It shows interest in the other person. 99% of the time, that person's going to be excited to tell you about it is the way that I would approach it and, and think that most people would understand it. Well said. Yep. So tell us, who is this book for? It's for leaders at all levels. And so it's for people who are running organizations and they find themselves in these situations where they're not sure what to do, how to bring people together. It's for them. But it's also for those of us who are sitting in meetings. It really seems like the same meeting we just had last week and the same meeting we had last year and nothing is changing and what is going on. And I feel dumb because I just spoke up. The book will help take you through why you might be feeling that way and how perhaps you and the group can become more effective in doing and moving forward. Oh my gosh, that just reminds me of those memes out there that yet again, another meeting that could have been an email. I mean, it's so, it happens so often and it's like Groundhog Day over and over again. So thank you for explaining that. You're the leader now. What? Where can people find the book? 
At any bookstore, any bookstore. And well, where, where can they find you then, Dr. Winters? So first of all, I'm going to say that I hope they don't find me in the emergency department. But <laughs> richardwinters.com is where you can find information about the book. And, and I'm also on Twitter at Dr. R. Winters. Well, you are not the standard doctor. Thank you for speaking to us in words that we could understand. Thank you for writing this book. You're the leader. Now what? And I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Heather. All right, guys. Until next week, keep creating your confidence. Stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. I'm on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about. Negotiate Your Best Life, hosted by Rebecca Zung, a part of the Yap Media Network. As a globally renowned narcissist negotiation expert and an attorney recognized by U.S. News as a best lawyer in America, Rebecca shares her invaluable insights and strategies for navigating life's toughest negotiations. By drawing from her own experiences and the wisdom of her high-profile guests, such as Bob Proctor, Mark Victor Hansen, John Gordon, and Rebecca delivers empowering advice that will inspire you to reclaim control of your life. Negotiate Your Best Life is all about how to negotiate your way to greatness. She provides practical guidance on how to break free from toxic relationships, stand up against injustice, and transform chaos into freedom, possibility, and purpose. Many times, the first negotiation you do is with your own in the morning. In the morning is when you wake up, and that's when Negotiate Your Best Life is time for you. It's about to find your way to greatness, conquering obstacles, and creating the life you truly deserve. Get ready to slay thrive and unlock your full potential. Don't believe me? I'm going to go ahead and share some of the reviews that are out there so you can hear and you can believe too. You have helped me so much these last few weeks. I was with a narcissist for two years. She drove me to the point I wanted to take my own life. Listening to you has made a massive difference and now I know what I'm with. Thank you, Rebecca. Now the recovery. Thank you for gifting the knowledge to believe in myself again. You have unknowingly helped me legally represent myself through criminal, federal, and civil court proceedings with a narcissist. There would be so many people around the world that you're helping without even knowing like me. You saved my life. Emma, 35 years old, Australia. If you are ready to stand up against injustice and transform the chaos in your life into freedom, possibility, and purpose, then check out Negotiate Your Best Life now. Subscribe to Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.